Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 17. I think fear drives me a lot, whether healthy or not healthy, uh, probably not very healthy, but the fear of letting people down drives drives me a lot. And when we we put ourselves out, we raise a $5,000 from our chancellor, we're like, we cannot lose this. When we partner up, I'm like, I cannot let him down. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I am your co-host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Back again this week with my lovely co-host, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Mrs. Carol Scott? Oh, so super, super great. Get this. Took the boys to Legoland, Florida yesterday, which was a really great time. And we got back super late last night. So I don't even think I've had a chance to tell you this story. Get this. I finally got our oldest son to try his first roller coaster. We've been trying to do this for years, years, right? For years. And Every time we go to any amusement park, we're like, let's try this one. Let's try this one. Yesterday, I was like, I'm going to go for the gusto and just try. I'm going to try to like MacGyver whole situation that he can't say no to. I'm like, hey, look at that super gigantic, huge roller coaster. It looks terrifying. Want to try it? And he, of course, looked at me like I was completely insane. And he was like, well, no, not the big one, but I'll try the smallest one they have here. I'm like, yes. Mission accomplished. I got him to try a roller coaster. And of course, not surprisingly, he loved it. So we went on that roller coaster, the next biggest one, and he wanted to go on a third. So we go from zero to three roller coasters in one day. That kid faced his fears and he loved it. It was awesome. I love that. And that's a great lead into today's show. And I'm sure you knew that when you started it. But for our listeners out there, today we're talking to two founders of a company that got the start in their business because they were able to face their fears and they were able to take a giant risk in their business. We're talking today with Nikhil Aurora and Alejandro Velez, who started a company called Back to the Roots. And when they started their company right out of college, actually, I'm not even sure if they were out of college. They may have still been in college. The first thing they did is they walked into a huge retailer and they said, we've got this half-baked idea for a product. We want you to put it on your shelves. And lo and behold, the retailer not only said, yes, we're going to do that, but we're going to give you some money to help you create the product. They weren't scared to walk in and take that risk. And throughout the evolution of their company, they've now grown to a really big company, but throughout the evolution of their company, they took risks like that. They faced their fears. There's another story that they're going to tell about how they walked into a retailer where they needed something from that retailer. And instead of saying, hey, can we buy this stuff from you for our product? They instead walked in and they flipped the story around and they said, hey, we want you to pay us to take this and put it in our product. And again, lo and behold, that retailer said, sure, we'll pay you here. Take, take our things, we'll pay you, go make lots of money off of us. So once again, willing to face their fears and it paid off for them. And they weren't just willing to face their fears, honey. Let's not make it sound so easy because they also share the story about how there are at least a dozen people on each side of that equation who slammed the door in their faces and acted like they were completely nuts. But they certainly did did not give up and they kept on going for it and made them what they are today. Absolutely. So this show is all about facing your fears and how everybody out there as entrepreneurs should be facing their fears because you never know what doors it's going to open up. And now, without any further ado, let's jump into our discussion with Nikhil and Alejandro from Back to the Roots. And let's welcome Alejandro and Nikhil to the show. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. We're so excited to talk with you. You have so many great products that you've developed. You have such an amazing backstory, and we really think our audience is going to love listening to everything you have to say. So, Before we jump into that backstory and how you got started, can you maybe give us a little bit of an overview about who your company is, what you do, the products you have, and your overall mission? Yeah, you want to maybe? Yeah, sure. So just a quick background. My name is Nick Hiltz Alejandro. We're the two co-founders of Back to the Roots. And it's a company we actually started up in college together with this crazy idea of being able to grow mushrooms on coffee grounds and fell in love with this idea of like urban farming and connecting back to where food comes from. and you fast forward through our journey, what we've developed is actually this line now of ready to grow gardening kits to help 
any family, any kid grow their own food in classrooms and kitchens across the country, and also a ready-to-eat line of organic cereals and snacks that are all focused on simple ingredients and direct farmer sourced. And really, we're just trying to get, you know, reconnect families back to where real food comes from and inspire curiosity about food again. And it's been a super fun, exciting, crazy journey. I and mean, started off as a bucket of mushrooms as fraternity kitchen closet and now we're selling our products in you know thousands of retailers across the country and uh, it's just been it's been really fun so we're excited to kind of share that journey i guess today this morning with you guys fantastic i love that okay so let's step back to you guys were in college together and i think uh talking a little bit earlier you guys were in a fraternity together you were taking some classes together and that was kind of the origin of back to the roots can you take us back there and tell us a little bit about how you guys met uh, how the concept of of growing your own food, I guess it started with mushrooms, came about. Yeah. Um, just what, what's your origin story? So it's it's kind of funny because we we had uh, we were both seniors at Berkeley going into I was going into investment banking. Nick Hill was going into consulting. We had no background in agriculture. Had never grown a thing in our lives, and. Uh, we were sitting in a business ethics class that was talking about 19 ways in which industries and businesses could become more sustainable. Uh, I think I barely made that class by like a few seconds. That professor <laughs> notoriously closes the door. You can't come in uh, no matter what you say. So for just those few seconds, luckily I got in the class. One of those ideas was how you could potentially grow mushrooms on coffee waste, but nobody had really done it commercially. For some odd reason, uh, we both went up to the professor, asked for more information, led us to grow some buckets uh, out of our fraternity kitchen. One of them worked, walked it into Whole Foods. First produce guy we saw, we just said, hey, we think we figure out how to grow mushrooms on coffee waste. Are you interested? And that led to the buyer uh, about two to three weeks later giving us a ring. And one of the most impactful calls, not knowing what the heck we were getting ourselves into, but... He basically said, if you guys figure this out, I'm going to blow you up at Whole Foods. Like, this is the most innovative thing I've seen in produce, taking coffee waste, growing mushrooms. And uh, it was a funny line because, you know, he then asked us, he's like, well, what, what, what were you farming before, boys? You know, he assumed we were already farmers and uh, took a long pause. But we told him we're actually going into, into finance. Randy, Randy DeCommons his name. And then he took a long pause himself. And then eventually he says, you know what? I don't care. You guys figure this out. I'm going to blow you up at Whole Foods. And that led to us uh, wow. giving up our job offers. That's that's really interesting. So I, I the thing that sticks out at me most here, and I, I need to, to ask this question. So you were looking at going into investment banking and consulting. So kind of the complete opposite in some ways of growing sustainable food sources and starting a business around um, a term that I, I sometimes hear, conscious capitalism. What made you guys say... Um, we're going to give up the finance dream. We're going to give up the investment banking and the consulting dream. And we're going to start growing mushrooms and, and focusing on sustainable food sources. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, my, I think answer is pretty easy for me. It wasn't the idea. It was, it was this guy. Um, it was a partnership. It was the immediate love, respect, I think, the fun we were having brainstorming together. And I mean, imagine your last semester in college, you know, all your friends are, are going out and having a blast and we're dumpster diving together. And somehow by doing it together with Alex, like it was just fun. It was invigorating. And I think we just, there was right away something really special to that partnership. And honestly, I think more than, more than the idea, it was that, that relationship. And eventually over the course of those few months, I think, you know, it, it was a ton of support from our community. We got a $5,000 grant from our chancellor, which at that time felt like we just won the lottery. And, you know, there was these different moments, but I think it, it was that, it was a partnership. Very cool. It really led us to like wanting to do this and giving us the confidence to do it. That is really cool. So you, you go into Whole Foods and you find this guy, Randy, who's a buyer. And he says, give me a product and, and I'm going to make you guys huge. So at that point, presumably, you didn't have a quote-unquote product that was ready to get put on the shelves in Whole Foods. So what were the next steps from there? Well, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. We had, we, had, we had no real consistent supply of the coffee waste because this was taking coffee waste, something that was being discarded every single morning at Starbucks and Pete's Coffee, 
and using that as the growing medium for the mushrooms. So that was what got us really intrigued by the idea that the fact that you could take waste, turn it around and turn it into a growing medium. Um, we also didn't really have demand. I mean, a buyer saying, I'm going to blow you up. You know, what's the price? What's the cost of the product? None of that we had figured out. But as Nick Hill mentioned, I mean, we both uh, were invigorated by just how we would, we get so passionate about, like, you know, I'd get, wake up senior at school when everybody's already checked out and ready, you know, partying and get these long emails of research from Nick Hill of, Oh man, if we, we could probably sell the coffee waste and oh, we could probably make money being waste management. This is how much you know, annual revenue this waste management company does. We could probably displace them. Oh, and we might even be able to, like, it's funny because we eventually got to, oh, I think we're going to be the ones having to grow the mushrooms. <laughs> the initial thought was we'll do everything around growing mushrooms because there's no way in heck we'll be able to actually grow mushrooms. So we had nothing. And I think it, you slowly start, I think, realizing that the more there's a lot of kind of stigma to how do you get into a retailer? How do you figure out what your costs are? And I think you kind of tackle it a little bit at a time. And then through that, you realize that you start kind of learning more about where's the opportunity and where's not, but just sitting back and doing a bunch of research, a lot of times, especially in food and real tangible products is a lot of time wasted. So, so walk me through that first product. Was it like you packaged up some coffee grounds and you packaged up some mushroom seeds? Are seeds? They, are they seeds? Like where do mushrooms, yeah, <laughs> yeah. how does that all work? Yeah, and then- That's, that's, that's going to be my question too. And like, so you you go to Whole Foods and you, you go and you find Randy and you've got this coffee ground container full of mushrooms, right? And you're like, and you're like look what we've got. And he's like, I'm going to blow you up. And that's my question. What is it? Is, are you going to sell him mushrooms? Are you going to sell him coffee grounds? Are you going to, what is that product and where'd you come up with it? Yeah, so well, it started off, uh, as Alex mentioned, of us actually selling fresh produce and fresh mushrooms. But it took us, we graduated in May, six months or so of trying to replicate what we had grown one little test bucket in Alex's fraternity kitchen. And but we graduated, imagine like, you know, we had that we had that bucket, got 5,000 bucks from our chancellor, give up our job offers. And then start just trying to farm. And day after day, we could not replicate that. Take us six months of literally every single day, you're planting, come back the next day, super excited, nothing's growing. Plant the next day, come back. It's just this cycle, you know, over and over, you know, over, I mean, literally like hundreds plus days of just failure. And, and eventually- it is mind blowing that first bucket group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mind blowing. There's what no reason happened? why that thing. It had, I mean, we watched a YouTube video. <laughs> put some seeds in this coffee waste that hadn't been like pasteurized or sterilized went off to spring break. This was when, you know, when you could have spring break, this is college and you come back and ate like, and then all of a sudden there's like little mini mushrooms growing unbelievable. And then it took us forever to actually make it commercial forever. It took a long time. Welcome to uh, yeah, welcome. Oakland, by the way. It's the train station we're near. So. <laughs> no problem. We like we like the trains in the background. People know we're uh, we're actually recording we're, live. We're right in the middle of uh, our office in the middle of the Oakland Produce Market, so right by the train, the uh, railway station too. So we're right, right in all that energy. But, Perfect uh, location. You fast forward. So I mean, basically, we we partnered up with Pete's Coffee and started collecting basically became their valley waste collector so in our first six months we were just dumpster diving every single morning at 5 a.m picking up their coffee grounds from keith's coffee that they weren't throwing away bringing them back to our little small warehouse uh by the oakland airport first and then in west oakland and we're planting mushroom spawn it's kind of like the seed uh and it takes three weeks to incubate and then after that Theoretically, you get fresh mushrooms, but six months later, we didn't have any. Finally figured out the right mix of temperature and light and humidity and all the different factors that we had no idea initially about. And um, had our first sale was three, just over three pounds of mushrooms to uh, the Berkeley Whole Foods and started scaling that up uh, from there. But we, so our first couple of years, we were just farmers. We were growing fresh mushrooms and selling in the farmer's markets, restaurants, Whole Foods. Oh. That, that's awesome. Now, let me let me point something out here because I, I think you guys are really modest, but this is a great tip and a, a great learning for all our listeners out there. You literally, you walked into Whole Foods and you found a buyer. Then you walked into Pete's Coffee and you said, give us 
pounds, hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds, I don't know what it was, of coffee grounds. You guys were fearless. You you were willing to to basically just approach these big companies and say, hey, we're starting out, but we want help, or we want you to listen to us, or we want to work with you. And it sounds like you got a lot of yeses. And I know a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we're scared to approach the big boys. We're scared to, to, to go after and ask people for help when we need help. But you guys are, are a really good proof that sometimes you just have to go and ask and people are going to be receptive. Yeah. And I think, yes, and then the longer quick stories, that same day that Alex mentioned, we were in that one bucket, walked around after we came out from spring break. We must have walked around, I mean, nearly a dozen different grocery stores, though, local okay. shops and people looked at us like we were crazy, like two kids trying to go mushrooms in the fraternity walking, like what is going on? Like, no thanks. And luckily at the Berkeley Whole Foods, they're, they're intrigued and interested and gave us a chance to kind of share our story and what we're trying to do. But um, so, you know, it's like, I think yes to go out there and share it, but also you, you can't walk away after the first no. You got to just keep trying and eventually it did stick for you. That's great. So you, you strike the steel uh, for this, this, product uh, as you're farming these mushrooms and stuff. Randy says he's going to make you a big deal. And what was the next step? What did that look like? Oh man, it's probably 16 hours a day of waste collecting in the morning, early morning. You had to be finished with the route. I mean, this is like five, five thirty in the morning on a route, picking up uh, from all the little local coffee shops, bringing it back planting all day. So you're literally taking coffee waste, putting them into a bag, adding, then we pass it. We created our own little assembly line, adding mushroom seed. Then you put it in this place, which is called the incubation room in which it sits there for about three weeks. And during that time is when the mushroom roots are starting to take over that coffee waste. And then after about three weeks, then the mushrooms, you give it a shock. Mushrooms grow when they think they're going to die. So then you give it a shock of water, you give it a shock of uh, different air, uh, like fresh air exchange, you change that up, you change temperature, and then you get mushrooms to start sprouting. At that point, we harvest them and we take them and deliver in the whole food. So we would have a rotation in which we would collect, plant, harvest, deliver, and then the late afternoon to evening, we would go and demo the product at Whole Foods. That was every single day. And this is the two of you, or do you have other people on board at this one? This is the two of you. Awesome. And do you, how does it, from a food perspective, right? Because I think a lot of people, again, our listeners have considered food products. Do you need FDA inspections? Do you need, do you need some type of approval or can you just sell food in a retail location without any of that stuff? How does that work? Uh, You do. (laughs) I was going to say, I think that's one of the things actually early on that we were were really excited about because we got a local producer loan from Whole Foods early on. They gave us a small loan to help us kind of scale up and grow our farm. And I just remember we were laughing because there was conversations. We had these exact same questions, but we were starting out for them. And these guys were just laughing at us. Like, you you really have no idea what you're doing. They basically turned into this mentorship and they came by and visited and hooked us up with the people that have we had to go through, but I just remember those early moments where, yeah, we had the same questions. We're like, so what do we do next? And <laughs> but sounds like there are people on the ground near you that believed in you, that gave you some funding to help put you in touch with the right people and give you money to, uh, to build it out and make those connections. Is that accurate? Whole Foods, Whole Foods was one of the first, I mean, amazing retailer, completely changed the retail game and how products could, how entrepreneurs could take food products to market. They did not just, they did the local producer loan program, but they also had local foragers is what they were called. So it was regional folks that understood their market and would go in and handhold entrepreneurs that they would believe in. So Ellie Truesdale out of the Northeast is somebody who is really dear to both of us. Harve is really one of the guys that got us started here out of Northern California. These people are just, they bet on other entrepreneurs and thanks to them, Instead of just saying, wow, these guys are nuts and leave, they say, wow, these guys are nuts. Let's help them. <laughs> the same thought process, but they decide to, to double down and help. I, I love that. So you figure out the process for growing mushrooms, and I'm not even going to get into that because it sounds like uh, <laughs> you guys took a crash course in farming, um, but you figured yeah. out how to grow mushrooms. You found somebody to sell your, your produce for you. Uh, at this point, are you making money? Are you profitable? Or you know, We had about a million, a million dollars in revenue and just really us too. Wow. Uh, 
from yeah. your mushrooms and produce, the two of you had a million dollars in revenue already. Yeah. That is amazing. Awesome. No, and you've got to like there's no cost of goods on this. I mean, it's, it's just a little warehouse. So one of the things we highly recommend to any, anybody that's looking to start this at, I think uh, we've gotten this advice in the past said differently, but whatever you do, give your best chance of screwing up. He said the, he replaced screwing up with another word, but it's so real. Like we didn't know how good we had it to have a product that had, basically a hundred percent gross margin. Like you can make a lot of mistakes when you have a product that does that. So highly recommend going into, especially when you're starting out. And early on too, I just, you know, I think would let us do that too. A kind of interesting story was that with Pete's coffee, for instance, we start scaling up, we're collecting, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of coffee grounds per day, per week. Eventually, I think at our max, when we were doing that, we collected about three and a half million pounds of coffee grounds from Pete's Coffee in one year. Wow. But through that process, I think they realized, we realized, okay, this is a real service. And so we actually started getting paid to collect their trash. So we kind of replaced this management. <laughs> and so you step back, it's like... And then during that process, we were going fresh mushrooms, all of our waste, the leftover substrate we learned that it was actually a really great soil amendment for farming and for local gardeners. So we ended up putting that up on Craigslist and selling that as a premium soil amendment. And so you kind of said it was like waste of waste of waste all had value to it. And I think just looking back at like all that helped us bootstrap it and kind of get this product out there. And Brandy bought that whole food Brandy store. We took that into Northern California whole food stores. Of course he did. So we, got paid, we got paid to collect the waste. We sold the fresh mushrooms, which were grown a few miles away from all these stores. And then our own waste became a soil amendment at $9.99, $10 bag. Amazing soil amendment that spent mushroom substrate. It's really good for growing. So we had three revenue streams out of wow. this little operation. And that got us to, to bootstrap without needing to raise any capital. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of a labor of, of love. There was not much of the, the love part, but there's definitely a lot of labor. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it was still pretty cool to be able to get to a million plus out of this little warehouse in Oakland. And that's a great uh, how do I say this? That's 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 an entrepreneur mentality. I'm sitting here getting ready to ask the question, how much were you paying Pete's coffee to buy their coffee grounds from them? And before I could ask the question, you start telling us about how they're paying you to take the coffee grounds and how then you're then Whoa. taking those coffee grounds that you're getting paid to take and you're packaging them up, them up and you're selling them as an additional product. So while I'm thinking about all these costs to your business, you're turning that around and you're figuring out how to turn that into a revenue stream. That's That's fantastic. Thanks, man. Uh, and, you know, you, bring, you brought up fear. And actually, I, I wrote down, as you, it was funny because you were saying, you said fear as I wrote down the word fear here, because we went to Pete's scared to ask the head of strategy for Pete's when we figured out that, hey, we're doing a service here. We should get paid. But we went to him thinking we were fully prepared. We came up with this financial model of how they should pay us, not just to collect, but we actually asked them that we might be willing to put the Pete's logo next to our packs and our mushrooms and we'll pay them on per impression. So we did this whole calculation on how many consumers walk by a whole food store and get to see the Pete's logo. And on a per impression basis, they should pay us X amount per month. I mean, the fact, I mean, we're 21 year olds going up to a, you know, the guy who's been doing this 20 plus years, uh, super, he basically like laughed at our, like in our face. Like, guys, this is super cute. Like, no, we're a billion-dollar-plus brand. Uh, we're not going to pay you to put our brand on your little mushrooms in some <laughs> local stores. But, like, you know what? We're going to pay you to collect. So we went and asked for, you know, we wanted not just to pay for collect, but we wanted to get paid to put the Pete's logo on a brand, on our brand, which had no value whatsoever. But I fear is such an interesting word because... We actually, Nick, he'll talk about our partnership. I think the other part, and I speak to my, for myself, I think fear drives me a lot, whether healthy or not healthy, uh, probably not very healthy, but the fear of letting people down drives, drives me a lot. And when we, we put ourselves out, we raise a $5,000 from our chancellor. We're like, we cannot lose this. When we partner up, I'm like, I cannot let him down. So putting ourselves out there and going to just asking the question is almost like a way to combat that continuous fear that's in your mind. It's like, you can't let people down. Well, put yourself in a place which you're creating that fear by asking crazy questions to go and get paid to collect coffee waste. If you do that as often as you possibly can, then in some way it's kind of maybe an antidote to 
the reality at the end of the day, fear does drive me personally. So I don't know if other kind of listeners can relate to that fear, but that's a good way to maybe for me to at least kind of get me through, which is put yourself in positions that you artificially become fearful. And by asking a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily shouldn't get, that also helps get unfair share of attention. That's really cool. And you're almost talking about like, I love your example of you're basically asking for the moon, right? So talk yeah. about being fear fearful. You're going to go crazy fearful, like throw a question at them yeah. that is like so over the top. How could you possibly even say yes to me? But what they do, they didn't say yes to that, but they gave you a piece of the moon. So rather than asking for a piece of the moon and getting like an itty bitty bitty piece of moon dust, you ask for the whole moon and then you still got something awesome out of it. You got them to go ahead and pay you yep. to remove their coffee waste. So I love that concept of just going all out as far as being fearful and not just going partially in. So you have all these revenue streams, you're making millions off of the mushrooms and the waste in the premium soil. Sure. When, when did you decide or how did you decide that you still needed to do something more or something different? Because that's a, a, a sounds like a big jump from that to where you are today. So uh, what made you decide that you need to do something more, do something different? And what was next? Farmers markets. Yep. It was, uh, it was listening to our, to our customers. Yeah. Honestly, we would just like, we're growing, demoing. we're harvesting, we're selling in and then we're demoing every single evening, every single weekend, we're just selling farmers markets and, we were doing tons of tours uh, of our little farm we had in Oakland to our local community and families and teachers huh. and kids who would meet at these demos. And people would come by this warehouse, this farm, and we started hearing the same question like over and over again. And people were almost more excited about not like what we were growing, but how we were growing it, just the process of farming and growing food and wanting to like, hey, can I take one of these big, crazy bags? You guys are growing your mushrooms in and can I take that home and do that myself? My kitchen counter can I do that in my kid's classroom. And, we just started hearing all this kind of it's the same kind of feeling over and over again. And we realized there was something bigger here than just mushrooms. There's something bigger than what we were just doing in this local five, 10 mile radius of selling to those markets and restaurants and farmers markets. They were just kind of need of people wanting to reconnect with food and kind of experience that magic themselves of like growing something again. And I, that's what kind of inspired us to like, Hey, can we take what we're doing and shrink it down into something small enough for, you know, a kitchen or a classroom and, that led us from our big mushroom farm to then shrinking that down to our first kind of really consumer CPG branded product, which was our mushroom grow kit. And, and you know, we wow. we do the first three weeks of the work for them, incubate the kit, seal it up in this box, and then families at home can just pop it open and in ten days grow their own mushrooms and cook with them. And so that that, that was kind of the start of this the next kind of phase of back to the roots. And, and did you? have the idea that this was going to be the next phase of your business? Or was this just a, a little side thing that you was like, oh, we're making lots of mushrooms anyway. Let's package some stuff we up did, and make we some cakes. We were both for a while. I mean, it must have been almost a year and a half or so. We were, so we were, we were selling both like a year for like fresh mushrooms and the kits. And, you know, at farmer's markets, we were selling both and in grocery stores selling both. And there was a point through that where we started realizing through that, that journey that year, where okay, these are two very different, businesses and, and selling propositions and the, what we need to be doing, you know, one of them, you're kind of really just focused on the sell in, in, in terms of the fresh produce. The other one, you're trying to educate and inspire and teach people what this product is and the marketing and et cetera. So, and then with that, that was one of the big first moments. I'll never forget that we're actually sitting in front of the Home Depot, the parking lot and Hey, do we, do we have to decide on one of these? And we said, yeah. And we doubled down on, on the kits. Wow. That's, that's, that's huge. So what was the next step? So once you decided, okay, now we're going to focus on education. We're going to focus on helping people get back to the roots. And, and you, you really decided to focus on the kits. What was the next step in the evolution of the business? Where did you go from there? I think um, the immediate once that decision was made, which was looking back, it sounds simple. It was a really hard decision. I mean, you had spent... You know, you think about talk about sunk costs a lot, and you can't. But this is this is all stuff we built this whole farm with our hands and sweat, and you know. And then you overnight, you know, and overnight you say, nope, we don't need half of this space. We don't need it anymore. We got to turn it into a different part to be able to grow these kits, and that's where we're going to hold the kits. And that so overnight you make this decision, and it's it's then turns into, all right, let's make sure this product, one product, get it into as many 
retail stores as possible. It didn't have, we could ship it all across the country. Uh, so then we'd start, we expanded, we were able to expand nationwide at Whole Foods. So we, you know, I took, I think two months, I, um, Nikhil took the West Coast and he kind of made sure production was still active. And he also handled the Whole Foods on the West Coast while I just took a flight, one way ticket, rented a car for, it was like $17 a day, this tiny little purple car and went up and down the entire United States from Atlanta. So all the way to Research Triangle, Boston and New York and just demoing. Sooner the store would open, all the way till it closed. Just demo, demo, demo. This was specifically at Whole Foods, Whole or Foods. did you go into Whole other Foods. retailers? It is, so it's all Whole Foods. So you had this Whole Foods connection. We all day we said, hey, I think that we did, I think many, many mistakes. I think that one we did right, which is double down on one retailer. If you can prove it with one retailer, then you've got a good story, and then other retailers will follow. So we just went and made sure that the sales were there and introduced ourselves, demoed, and and even I remember just going back to that, that point of the decision though, there was a moment I remember in our other parking lot at the old warehouse and like an entrepreneur who was a really well-established kind of famous entrepreneur, oh, yeah. but we respected a ton and built an incredible brand, you know, telling us the exact opposite. It was like, no, you guys are making the big mistake. You guys should be just growing fresh mushrooms and scaling yeah. that up. So even like what seems now like you say it's Noah, Noah from Noah's Bagels. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was like big mistake. He's like, I will invest in your company if you become if you stay a mushroom farm. I will not invest if you do mushroom kits. Wow, but fascinating! Super smart guy, and super respected. Shows but, that, like, with now looking back, that's the trajectory went on. But that was a tough decision, like you know, where, where it's just like, are you the two very different paths? Well, but it, by the same token, it was probably good validation that whichever path you took was probably a good path. Um, so uh, you were obviously successful on the path you took, but you had some people who were very smart, who believed that if you went on the other path, you would have been successful there as well. So let me ask you a question with you, you mentioned going into all the whole foods along the East coast and, and around the country are, do they not have a central buyer for whole foods or how does this typically work for, for various retailers? If you want to get into stores do you have to go store to store individually or can are there regional buyers? Yeah, let me explain. So, uh, well, Whole Foods, especially back then, was uh, a little unique. I mean, there's other retailers that do it, Home Depot and some departments, Costco, uh, but they make either regional decisions or national decisions. So Whole Foods has 11 regions across the country. And there's a regional buyer. Randy was one of those buyers. He, he's now actually been, he's now a vice president at Whole Foods. He's still there, but he was a regional buyer. So he could buy for his 35 stores. Okay. Multiply that by 11. So it's roughly 400 stores in total at the market. So we would sell into the regional buyer, but then we would tell the regional buyer, by the way, if you take on our mushroom kit, which is already pretty out there, they normally sell fresh stuff, not a mushroom kit. We'll go out there and demo it ourselves and make sure this thing sells like hotcakes. So they're like, all right, I'll take it in. But yeah, I need you to come and demo in my stores. So we'd get the product distributed through the National Distribution Center. It would get plussed out to the stores. And then when we get there, the product would be in the store. But then it would just be sitting there because nobody knows what a mushroom is. And then, so is the two of you physically demoing or did you still not hired anyone at this point? You're growing like crazy, it sounds like. But there's the two of you. That point, I think it was my just my step. Yes, yeah, Zaldo, and maybe I think it had two other people as you were growing all on the production, yeah, on side. The production side. So yeah. I think that's the other I mean, piece we've kind of realized is that like before you can hire for something, like you got to know it well enough yourself to be able to hire and know what you're looking for sure. a little bit. And so I think a lot of our journey has been just like piece by piece, this whole business, learning it. And you know, first it was like how do we grow and and how to grow our supply chain. And there's all of our first couple of years just on the operation side, and then we could hire you know, folks help us out with that and help us scale it up. But we're figuring out, well, now how do we sell and market this thing? And that became a lot of our focus was out there demoing every single day. And, you know, and that we were able to kind of hire a team eventually of regional brand ambassadors to help us do that. But I mean, that's after we had spent every, visited almost every store across the country and learned it ourselves. Amazing. And in in those first, that first year or two, how many units had you sold of your mushroom growing kit in these Whole Foods stores? I think... I mean, it was, we were getting, we we're getting some, it was definitely, I mean, a hundred thousand plus units. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. It was getting, it was, we we're starting to gain some decent scale and we were, I mean, but still relative, I mean, it's still sub, sub $10 million for sure. 
but we were starting to get people, people kind of, and buyers were interested, other retailers were starting to get interested, but then all our money was basically tied up in inventory or accounts receivable because, you know, Whole Foods would pay us within 30 days, we'd pay our, so it was just the continuous battle. So as we were, you know, after about two years of just doing mushroom kits, we're like, well, I think we should be launching something else, right? Like, are we just going to do a mushroom kit forever? And, uh, and then uh, visited an aquaponics farm in Milwaukee. And that was a really impactful visit. It was with Whole Foods. Uh, it was a farm called Growing Powers. And they were doing aquaponics, which is you take fish waste and use that as a fertilizer for plants. And then the plants are cleaning the water and bringing it back down for the fish. So it's a really cool ecosystem. And you can do it in urban settings because it takes half the real estate. So they sell the tilapia fish and then they sell the herbs to Whole Foods and other retailers. So we created, we were inspired by that. And we said, just like we took a big mushroom farm, made it little, let's make the first ever aquaponics fish tank. And then that one we launched on Kickstarter. So we, we didn't have the money because we had most of our, although we were growing as a business and, you know, um, you know, doing now good revenue with good growth, we had all money was ca- all cash was tied on making more of that mushroom kit or getting paid from Whole Foods. So we put up on Kickstarter, put up a video, a two minute video, had a one prototype of what this thing was going to look like. And then we got $248,000 of pre-orders. Wow. Oh my gosh. And how much did you need to develop the product? We had a hundred, it was a hundred thousand dollars. Goal. Yeah. Wow. Had, that, that's fantastic. We needed more than that. Yeah. Looking back, uh, more expensive than we thought. So, but yeah, it was a, and I, I think a lot of that too was not just for raising the capital. I think a lot of that too was for ourselves kind of seeing with our community, this vision we had for starting to expand this beyond mushrooms and Hey, this is more about reconnecting with food. Would our community follow us along that journey? Right. And, and I think that that was also as much as it was around capital was about kind of seeing, Hey, is this really something there? And I think seeing that overwhelming response from not just our community, but a bunch of new people kind of wanted to, you know, join us in this mission, we realized, yeah, you know, there's something here. And I think that was like the second thing, you know, it's just like the chapters and evolution of the company from fresh to kits and then going from mushrooms. And that was, I mean, again, looking back, it seems like it's obvious. Oh yeah. You're going other things, but we were, I mean, every, in Whole Foods, every story we went to, like, we were the mushroom guys. That was our brand. That's mm-hmm. what we were doing. It was mushrooms. And all of a sudden now we're coming with a fish tank. And, and, you know, I think we, that, that, that Kickstarter was really important for us to kind of realize and prove to ourselves that, there's something again, like there's a bigger vision here. And which a little plug, by the way, that little fish tank that had never existed, what it five years ago is now, if you go to Amazon now, it's the number one aquarium on all of Amazon. Number one sold the aquarium nationwide. We were the first uh, aquarium to ever work at Costco. We are now going to have a nationwide program at Costco this holiday season. Mm-hmm. Uh, first aquarium that's ever worked because it's not fully an aquarium. It's a grow kit. So it's, a full family experience. We've learned that our consumer, nine out of 10 of our consumers own a cat or a dog versus the average aquarium only around 25%. So one in four. So we're such a different market that we're going after because it's an experience, because it's an educational product. So, but we created, we didn't have an R and D team. We, we, it was all inspiration and there's multi-billion dollar pet companies that couldn't replicate that curiosity, you know? So I think just to kind of, just folks who are out there saying, Oh, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. When you have all this and that, that also makes you go really slow. And you also don't see the stuff that like, Oh, aha, that's pretty cool. Nobody's done it. There's a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. But when you're just kind of starting over, like starting from scratch, you get to do things much faster and do things that other people can't do. Love that. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Small business owners wear a lot of hats. And while some hats are really great, others like the filing taxes and running payroll hat, yeah, not so great. So that's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and managing a team actually easy for small businesses. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Oh, and you can even get direct access to certified HR experts too. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. You can do it in less than 10 minutes. And if you're thinking, oh, I already work with tools like say, 
QuickBooks. Well, get this, Gusto can integrate with those platforms so you can keep everything in one place all online. So listen up for this offer. Because you listen to Bigger Pockets Business, you get three months free when you run your first payroll on Gusto. This is one hat you're going to be glad you gave up. So try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash BPB, like Bigger Pockets Business. Again, that's gusto.com slash BPB. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So one thing that sticks out at me is that you guys had a very clear mission. So your mission was taking things back to to simplicity, growing your own food and and using resources for for sustainable growth. But your products were very different. So your, your mushroom product is very different than an aquaponics kit. And I know some of the later products that, that you continued to expand in your business were very different than that. So in certain ways, while the mission was the same throughout your company and throughout the business, your products were very one-off. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, you, you nailed some tough criticism, some tough love advice from people too around wow, what are you doing growing mushrooms and then a mushroom kit and then an injection molded product? I mean, a fish tank requires you to understand how plastic freezes. It requires you to work with molders, uh, with industrial engineers, mechanical engineers uh, to be able to design this thing. We didn't have that in-house. So yeah, we got a lot of kind of like, what are you doing type questions. So in 60 seconds, can you kind of give us the, the evolution of the business from, from conceiving that second product to where you are today? What other products have you done? How have you grown in terms of employees and, and bringing in people to help in terms of raising money? I know it's a big question to ask in a small period of time, but I think there are a lot of people who, who kind of want, want to know what, what's, what's happened since then. I'll do products. You do cool. seconds. All right. So I'll do the products piece of it. We, Rapid fire. So mushroom, fresh mushrooms to then realizing we wanted to go into kits and help people do it themselves, launch the mushroom kit and the water garden, the aquaponics kit. And you fast forward today, we've now expanded that line into a whole line of indoor gardening kits, all focused on kind of small space, urban, um, kind of new gardeners may never grow anything before. So we have, I'm just going to show you a few of them. Like this is, I don't know if you can see this in the camera for people watching. It's like a lavender plant. You put in your window, so it'll grow fresh lavender. We have a partnership with Aisha Curry, launched a kitchen herb garden line. Is that, is that Steph taste. Curry's wife? That is Steph Curry's wife. And she's an incredible restaurateur and oh, host and chef. Didn't and, know that. That's awesome. Uh, just actually. So we've kind of expanded out this line of, of various grow kits, including actually we launched this one on Earth Day, which is the very first ever hemp grow kit. So you can grow your own organic hemp now at home. And so just really kind of expanding out different things people can grow. Um, and along the way, as we were helping people kind of grow their own food, we realized you need to walk in our, and we're selling mainly in the produce section of, of stores, for instance. And you realize there's this huge disconnect between the grocery aisle and the produce aisle. And ultimately, our vision was connecting people back to real food, real ingredients. And that's what kind of was the inspiration behind launching our Ready to Eat line, which was our organic breakfast cereals, all focused, like, you know, three ingredients, direct farmer source, 
And in many ways, you want to you know, teach people that whether you're growing it yourself or someone's making it for you, you should know exactly where it comes from. And you should know um, whether you're the farmer or, or you know you're a farmer. And that turned into a line of organic cereals, which actually became like the second largest driver of growth in Whole Foods when we launched that nationwide, and, yep. and nationwide. And we launched it in these single syrup cups as well now, which which really cool opportunity. We had um, in New York City to do blind taste tests. And through blind tastes with New York City public school kids, actually displaced Kellogg's and became the first ever organic cereal offered in U.S. public schools, helping feed 1.1 million kids in New York. And per day. so, you know, in many ways, it, it's, it's a really, it's a wide swath now of gardening kits and then our organic cereals, but it's all focused on inspiring people to kind of learn where their food comes from, um, connecting the dot between what you grow and what you eat. I, I absolutely love that. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier a term that I really like called conscious capitalism. And I think it's something that's starting to gain popularity over the last few years. And it's basically the idea that capitalism isn't a bad thing. Capitalism is a good thing. And we should be striving to achieve profit in our businesses and, 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 our, uh, and, and our business ventures. But at the same time, we can still be doing good for society as a whole. The two are not mutually exclusive. And I just absolutely love the fact that you guys have, have figured out how to create a what seems like a fantastic business, um, but at the same time, you're providing societal benefit and 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 you're really giving back. I have to kind of just say this too, because uh, you know I, I think we we've we're driven by that, we're passionate about that, and I think we want to continue to carry the flag. But you know we can't say we that's we were lucky and grateful to be standing <clears throat> on the shoulders of giants who you know you look back 30 years ago who first kind of. What now seems obvious in a way, right? I mean, you know, even just the last 10 years, how that's changed. And you see the B Corp movement, net impact, and this discussion around conscious capitalism. Like, it's now a thing that is in mainstream dialogue. But you go back 20, 30 years, and, you know, we're fortunate enough to stay on the shoulders of people like, you know, Gary Hirschberg at Stonyfield Farms and um, the Whole Foods team and, and Patagonia and, you know, companies that, that have over this course of these decades have shown you can hit incredible scale while still having a really amazing mission. And I think now it's, it's, it's just what a cool opportunity for people looking to enter in the business world just like and start something. What a cool opportunity to be at this kind of new phase of capitalism where that's been proven. And, you know, Gary Hirschberg, one of our investors tells us when he was trying to start his company, there was like four people he could call who actually cared that he had a, like a deeper mission. And you look now, there's billions of dollars going into these kind of enterprises, right? And, and what a cool chance people looking to start something where we all get to kind of carry us into the next wave. So we're, we're inspired by, I think, the opportunity and, and that we have to kind of learn from them and now hopefully take that, take that more. So Awesome. I, I do want to ask one question as a numbers guy, and I know there are a lot of our listeners who, who are really interested in the numbers. Can you give us a general idea of how the numbers work when you're selling into a company, a, a, a consumer product into a company like Whole Foods? So in terms of percentages, like um, what is your markup? You, you create a product for X, you mark it up a certain times X, and then Whole Foods presumably sells it for a markup from there. What do, what do those percentages look like? You don't have to give us exact numbers, and I'm sure it's different for every product, but just in, in, in general. Yeah, for sure. So we've been, uh, it's been our, our blessing and our curse to be able to, we have, I mean, food is so universal, and especially growing your own food, You we get to play in the food space, we get to play in the home space, like home improvement space, like Home Depot and Lowe's. And then we get to play in our places like Costco. So starting with the food space, I think a lot of people, and I, we do highly recommend, you know, when you're starting something from your home, you've got to think of different tiers that take where there's different margin that's given. So first step is you manufacture something yourself and you calculate your cost of goods. So, you know, how much it cost to do this. For food, you've got to manufacture this at large manufacturing facilities. So it's important before you think of what's my real cost, you should start assuming you're going to do this in mass quantities. So start reaching out to other companies that do this. So it's co-manufacturers or co-packers that do this at large quantities and ask for their quotes. So based on that, you then immediately have a distributor in between. So a distributor normally takes 25% of the margin. So you... From the distributor, the distributor picks up the product from your warehouse, your facility, and then distributes it directly to a Whole Foods or uh, a Safeway, a Kroger. Then Kroger or Safeway or Whole Foods will then take roughly 40 to 50% margin on top of that. Got it. 
So you're, you're starting. And then on top of that, you've got to make your own margin. So something you, you start, once you get into the food space, you actually start wondering, man, how is food so darn cheap? Cause it is so hard to make money in this industry. You've got a distributor, you've got a retailer, and then you've got yourself. And on top of that, you've got your manufacturer who's got to make their margin. You've got a farmer who's got to make their margin. So in short, really understand all the cost drivers before you say my product in the retail, just because I made it here and sell at farmer's market, it's going to cost this amount. So that's one. The other extreme is Costco, which is the most one of the most incredible retailers I've ever worked with. And I'm just inspired by them is they roughly take a 15 margin. That's it. So really? very high volume, very high expectations. The difference is uh, Whole Foods and a Safeway will have 100,000 SKUs, 80,000, 100,000 SKUs. Costco has no more than 4,000. So you have to be really productive at Costco. You've got, to, you've got to crank through product, which allows them to have a much lower margin. And they only make... A lot of people don't know this, but Costco actually only makes money off of the membership. <laughs> yeah, so if you divide their net income, they're a public company. If you divide their net income by the number of members, it's almost to the T. Mm-hmm. That's how much money it costs you to be a member each year. Yep. So those are the two extremes. You've got another like, you know, a Nordstrom or a home store, which takes 70 margin instead of like 40 to 50. So understanding the space that you're selling into to make sure you price your product right. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's, that's such a great understanding and such a well-rounded perspective. And, and you guys are just, you're simply unstoppable in terms of product. The, your evolution over the past several years is so inspiring. And I know that there are a lot of our listeners who are starting product companies or wanting to start product companies. So if you had to give just one piece of advice to those people, one piece of invaluable advice from your experience to an entrepreneur wanting to start or just starting out in the product space, what would that be? So, um, I, I think one thing we've learned especially in this day and age, and I'm sure there's different answers, a lot of answers to this. It's there's so much noise in our lives right now. And there's so many products, especially with DTC brands and everything happening right now. And so before you ask yourselves, what is this product doing? And you get lost in the features and the design. I think starting like from the highest level and asking like, what do I want my consumer, my user to feel? what I want them to feel and remember and what I want them to share about this, like starting your product design from that perspective versus what is it doing or how can I be X percent better than the other person? It's like, Hey, what is someone going to feel when they open this and touch this? And I think that that's the place to start. And that's what kind of makes a brand memorable and shareable and ultimately scalable. It's not about the product. It's about the, uh, it's about your customer it's about your, and, and your customer. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. All of this has been so inspiring. I'm sure our audience has loved every little last bit. And I know we could talk for hours and hours, but I think we should start getting to a few, the last, uh, we're going to get to the last segment of our show, which is four more. And this is where we ask you four questions that we'd like you to answer rapid fire style. Okay. So the first things that come to your mind, and then the more is where everybody can find out more about you and what you're doing. So are you ready for the first question? Let's do it. Let's do it, Jake. Okay, gentlemen. What was your first, and I'll I'll let each of you answer separately, what was your first or your worst job? And what lessons did you take from it that you've used in your current business? Investment banking. I did a summer analyst uh, summer in New York. Work with people that you want to be like when you get older. First job, I was working for a financial advisor, cold calling hundreds of people a day trying to sell services and uh, realized that I was not inspired by that. And I think to do my best work and bring my best self, I had to be really inspired by, by the work and the mission and uh, led me to find that. Great answer. Okay. What is the defining moment where you realized you had the entrepreneurial itch? Hmm. Rapid fire. My gut was, my gut was, I don't know if I have it, I guess, but it's, it's, I mean, I, at five years old, I, I would go and buy candy bars and sell them at the tennis club in Columbia. And then I'd try to go and rent movies, uh, and deliver them to the apartments in Columbia. Like when I was six or seven with a buddy, like, I don't know, I've never thought of myself as, as, as entrepreneurial, but then I think there's different things that have, I think maybe, uh, yeah, it's been a little bit without knowing it, maybe in, in my instinct, but 
I don't know. I'm a worker. I think that's how I, I define myself more as just a, a worker. I, I love to work. I love to work. And I find, I think find joy in work itself. And I try to do that the most that I can. Yeah. I think awesome. we, great. I think we both, both take pride in that process and the work. And I mean, ultimately, I guess when we realize we're entrepreneurs is when we, and we'll never forget that moment above our school at UC Berkeley, above Haas, we both shook on it and said, if you're in, I'm in, if I'm in, you're in. And I guess that, if anything, was the moment we finally uh, scratched that itch, I guess. So that's uh, still a really clear moment, super vivid in my head. And we both said, we're, we're doing this. Lo- you're way committed from the get-go. I, I love it. You guys didn't pursue entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship pursued you. Um, awesome. So third question, what is the worst advice you guys have been given in your business? And, uh, and what did you do with that? I think it's, it's interesting because in every advisory session that you have with other entrepreneurs, everybody has, by and large, really bad advice and really good advice. It always comes together. Uh, if you don't get really good advice... If you get really good advice, you're most likely also getting really bad advice in that session. If you're kind of getting sort of good, you're probably going to get... It's Those sessions that become very binary are the ones that are most impactful. So I think it's at the end of the day, you're, you're, it's deciphering which advice you want to take is what I think what makes, makes this fun and also makes it challenging. I think one more thing I'll add to I think a lot of times when you're just starting out, there's this, especially in Silicon Valley, this, this idea of like keep keeping your idea to yourself. And then there's a, I think there's an ethos around startups of secrecy. And this is my idea. And I think something we take the most value out of is just realizing, just get out, especially if you're deciding whether or not to start something, just go out there and, and I mean, talk to literally 500 people. And if you're still as excited after the 500th conversation, there's probably something there. Because ultimately, do you have that resilience internally and that passion to want to kind of pursue this? So I think a lot of times just you'll hear like protect your idea and, and, it's going to evolve anyways. Whatever your idea is now is going to change a hundred times over. So might as well go out there and start sharing it and getting that feedback. And I think that's something we've learned a lot from. All the transparency and vulnerability. I was just going to say, it's a roller coaster. And if Mm -hmm. you never want to get off, you know, you're doing something right. There you go. Okay. Last question. What is something you've splurged on along the way? That's been totally worth it. (laughs) One time we probably had a thousand dollars in our bank account for back to the roots. And uh, we were driving by a <laughs> casino and I told Nick, I'm feeling it, bro. I'm feeling it. Let's go in there. Nick Hill jumps in. Uh, you go ahead because this is ridiculous. <laughs> no, let's finish it. But- well, we go into the casino. <laughs> I said, I believe you. Yeah, Nick Hill doesn't, doesn't, doesn't like question. We have a thousand or so dollars, total dollars to our name on our bank. Doesn't question it. Go in there, take out your 200 bucks <laughs> in the casino with the extra charge. Put the $200 on blackjack. I'm like, I'm feeling it, man. <laughs> Bust. <laughs> Bust. $100 right there. Jump back in the car. <laughs> and we're like, all right. Okay, 100. Rock on. Well, lost 20% of our net worth. Now we got one week less of time to figure this out. Yeah, All on the bright side, a lot of business decisions can cost you a whole lot more than $200. So if you're going to make a bad decision, <laughs> that was the one to make. <laughs> That's true. awesome. Okay, guys, thank you so much for that. And now the more question. So where can our listeners find out more about you guys, more about your business, back to the roots, more about your products? How can they get in touch with you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, check out our website, backtotheroots.com. Follow us on Instagram. we got a bunch of cool things growing. You can check out our products there at Instagram and Back to the Roots. Um, sign up for our newsletter. We have a bunch of new products coming out this fall, which we can't wait to share with everybody. So if you want to be the first ones to hear about them, uh, sign up for our newsletter as well, backtotheroots.com. Emails as well, Alex, E-A-L-E-X at backtotheroots.com and then Nick Hill, N-I-K-H-I-L at backtotheroots.com. We're also... On Instagram, we're Alex Back to the Roots, Nick Hill Back to the Roots, and uh, phone number 858-688-8305. That's myself. Anybody wants to text me or anything. So Talk about transparency. That's, that's, that's awesome. Phenomenal. Anybody that wants to check out your products, it sounds like they can go to Costco, they can go to Whole Foods, they can go to Amazon.com, and I'm guessing a whole lot of other retailers as well. Awesome. Nick Hill, Alejandro, so awesome speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time Thanks, today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us Thank on. Thank you. Wow, that was an awesome interview. What did you think, Carol? <laughs> it was so good. I'm still laughing in my mind about 
the story when they had exactly $1,000 in their business account and they went and bet 200 of it on black and lost. <laughs> no, blackjack. Not let, Let's oh. give them credit. They didn't play roulette. They played blackjack. You got to give them a little <laughs> oh. bit of credit. This is true. Phenomenal. Well, it was, like, it was like I said to them then, if you're going to take a big risk, at least do it on blackjack with a little bit of money as opposed to in your business. Right? Seriously. But they took so many great risks. And my goodness, their product line right now is absolutely incredible. What an inspiring story. And just the whole thing about the um, the, the conscious capitalism and how that just self-perpetuates. And we're in such a great time in the world right now where there is so much opportunity for that. It's just, it's wonderful. It makes you really look forward to the future for our kids. Yep. I know as soon as we end this recording, I am going to go out there. Some things I've been putting off doing in our business because I just haven't been able to get over my fear of making a few phone calls. I'm going to go do that this afternoon. Yes, that it was a very, very good idea. And I'm right there with you. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think that is it for this week. Thank you everybody for joining us. And like I always say, she is Carol. I am Jay. Now go face your fears and ask for the moon today. Mm-hmm.